Um, all kidding aside, um, as was mentioned, my name is Ed Dunnington, and uh, I want to thank the, the, the session, the elders here at UPC for the privilege of preaching this morning and being with you, and it, it is a joy. Uh, I, as was mentioned, I, I've, I've known uh, Rick since um, <clears throat> for over 17 years now. We served in Blue Ridge Presbytery together, and, um, and both of us had the opportunity to uh, be a part of God starting new churches that we um, bumbled along, and he was faithful, and uh, for Rick uh, there in Stanton, and for myself down in, in Roanoke, and then in 2015, the Lord called me out from that church that I'd been pastoring for nine years, uh, and brought me to the, kind of to, to Atlanta, where the PCA offices are, where I um, served then, it was called PCA Retirement Benefits, now it's Geneva Benefits Group, and, and uh, it's one of the, the ten uh, committees or agencies of our denomination, <clears throat> and we do oversee primarily the, the benefits for all of the pastors in our, our, our denomination, as well as all our ministry workers, so staffs of our churches, and, and then we also raise money uh, to uh, help pay for the um, our retired pastors and missionaries and, and their widows uh, to keep them out of poverty. The, the bottom line is that my, my, uh, my call now is to serve those who serve the church, and, um, and I love the privilege to do it. And so uh, I get these opportunities as well, and I'm grateful for that as well. So if you've got um, a Bible, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to turn with me uh, to Galatians 3. <clears throat> and uh, it's it's a joy to be able to jump into this series in Galatians. When I asked Rick what he wanted me to preach on, he's like, how about this? And I'm like, you've given me a good text. So, um, I, I, you know, it, it could have been something from Leviticus or something. I would have been really stuck and, and thought, uh, how about this? And so, but, um, but it's, it's a privilege. And as you know, if you've been listening or uh, if you've been here a week on uh, last several weeks, uh, Rick has been working his, uh, leading us through the book of Galatians and really highlighting the reality of the freedom that we have in Christ. And if you have not, let me just encourage you, if you've not had a chance to listen to the sermons, uh, I'll make a plug for the website as well and say go and download and listen to the sermons so that you can catch up. Uh, because we are really in the meat of, of Paul's argument uh, for uh, what it means for us to have freedom in Christ through his work. And, uh, and we've been building it, and we're, we're in that now. So uh, today we come to, to what I consider one of the, the central parts of this discussion about freedom uh, that Christ brings, and it's related to the curse. We've talked about it a lot already uh, this morning uh, in this service, but, but some of you may be thinking, and I have no idea. We, we, I've heard the word curse this morning. I, I understand that there seems to be this thing called a curse. What is this about? Um, and that's what we're going to look at this morning in verses uh, 10 through 14. Now, some of you also may be thinking, uh, yeah, Ed, I, I hear you guys talk about a curse, and I, I, I'm not cursed. I don't feel cursed. My life doesn't feel cursed. Um, this seems like a... a kind of a little excessive um, to talk about a curse. But, but I would want to just suggest to you that if at any point in your week or your day you have any hint of a nagging notion that just maybe, just maybe you don't measure up 
or you're not enough. Or maybe as Kurt Thompson says, your shame attendant reminds you where you don't measure the standard that you have set. If you've ever felt that, then you know what the curse is. (laughs) You, like me, live under that curse. And this text is a glorious text, I hope, uh, showing us how we have freedom from the curse in Christ. So I'm going to go ahead and ask us uh, to stand, as is your custom, uh, for the reading and hearing of God's holy and inspired word. Uh, So uh, please follow along with me as I read. This is Galatians 3, 10 to 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray again. Father, we come to this passage, and um, such an incredibly rich text for us. Father, such hope and such exposure. So, Father, we pray that you would be with us now, that you would use your word to do its bidding in our hearts and our lives, that you would be in my thoughts and on my lips, that you'd be in my heart and on my tongue, that the words I speak this morning would be your truth for the glory of Christ and for the building up of your church. Father, do that which you say you will do, that your your word will not return void. Change us by it, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Well, I think there's a few things more compelling in literature or in movies than the storyline that has somebody who has to to give themselves up in order to save others. If you think that this is unique, um, I mean, that that is the Star Wars story. franchise that is the Marvel franchise, right? It is everything in the theater, but it's not just today, right? I mean, this is what all great literature has. Whether you're, you're talking about um, Saving Private Ryan or Les Mis, whether you, uh, you're reading a book and, and you come across a moment where the main character has to make the choice to to give of themselves in order to save those that are in danger, whether they realize they're in danger or not. It's when we sit and we watch um, Life is Beautiful, the story of a a father protecting his son as they live their life um, in a death camp during Nazi Germany. And, And you find yourself torn by both the tragedy and the beauty, it's the reason we bring tissues to the movie theater. 
This is, is built in. It's hardwired into us. The, the reason so much, I would submit to you that, that almost all great literature has this arc in it, is because we resonate with the story of substitution. When we read the story of, of the mother or the father who protected their child during the earthquake in Turkey, we go, yes, that's as painful and as awful as that is. There's something beautiful about that. We don't want the suffering, but, but we resonate with the sacrifice. And this... <clears throat> is exactly what we have in our text, right? This, this whole idea that, that, that there are those that are in danger and they need a substitute. And, and that's what Paul says here. He says in verse 13 that right, Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law. And before we can unpack the curse and the freedom that Christ brings... We need to unpack the idea that we need to be redeemed. See, in order to do that, we need to acknowledge, first of all, we've talked about it all, great to have a baptism before this message, right? That, that the justice of God, the, the holiness of God has to be satisfied. There has to be a consequence when Adam and Eve went rogue. When they said, no, 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 we don't believe you care enough about our specific needs. And we're going to figure it out ourselves. And Paul says here, all of us are in need of redemption. And the only way for us to be restored in relationship with our Heavenly Father is through a substitute. And that's what he means by saying Christ came to redeem us from the curse. The reason we need to be redeemed is because our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to go their own way. They chose their own pursuits to intimacy with the eternal God who created all things and knew them and knows you and their needs and your needs and my needs better than I know them myself. And unless you and I think, man, if I'd been there, I'd done it different, I doubt it. No, you wouldn't. By Tuesday of this week, you will have turned your face away from the triune God at least a half a dozen times for silly things. There's been a lot of talk in the sermons about traffic. I'm not really sure what that's about. Um, but uh, I live in Atlanta. I know what that's about. <laughs> John Stott makes this great statement in The Cross of Christ. He says, these verses constitute one of the clearest expositions of the necessity, meaning, and consequence of the cross. This is probably the plainest statement in the New Testament of the doctrine of substitution. That, that Paul is saying, 
Jesus has stepped forward and said, I'll go, I'll die, I'll have their, their charge placed in my account. You know, we see this elsewhere, right? We see it in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where Paul says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul is teaching us that Jesus is our substitute, that his life and his death and his resurrection, that through his life, death, and resurrection, two things happen, right? First, and you know this part, if you've been in church at all, you know this, right? That, 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 that our sin has been credited to him. Paul says that he became sin for us in this text. It does not mean that Jesus becomes a sinner. It means that, that our debt of sin he takes on. And, and that is the quote-unquote clean slate that we all get. But that's only half the story. That's only half the story. Because if all you and I have is a clean slate, and man, buckle up, you better work your fanny off tomorrow because it's a clean slate. And if you're like me, by about 8.30 tomorrow morning, that's already a dirty slate. There is a second part to this, right? That is our substitute. Not only did my sin get credited to him, that, that my, my account was given to him, his account is given to mine. To me. This does not mean that you and I become righteous. Uh, we, we, we don't acquire the righteousness of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, but in the same way that, that he didn't become a sinner, but he took on our sin debt, we take on his credit of righteousness. And so now, when the Father looks down from heaven at us, he doesn't see my sin, he sees the perfect work of Jesus. This is why, right? It's not just that Christ died for our sins that matters. That's not the only thing the substitute has. It is that his perfect life of obedience is credited to you and credited to me. Now, you might think, um, Ed, so if you're a kid here, you're thinking, so wait, wait, Jesus honored his mom and dad perfectly? And if, if I'm in Christ, I get that credit? Yes, you do. You think, wait, wait. So, so when, when Jesus walked and lived, and not once coveted his neighbor's house or car or lawn or garden. I get that? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And, and that's what, what, what Paul is driving home here. You know, he'll say later in Galatians, uh, later on in this book, in, in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, he'll say, when the fullness of time had come. We actually already mentioned it this morning. I had to laugh. I'm like, man, you guys have basically preached my sermon in, in, in the service, which is glorious. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. I wish I could be here that week when to sit under the preaching of that. What Paul is driving home in these 
short verses from verse 10 to 14, is that since Christ has given himself as our substitute, he's broken the curse. And we now are free. So I'm a pretty simple, I'm, I'm, I'm not your, your most traditional um, <clears throat> or conventional Presbyterian preacher. I only have two points, sorry. <laughs> um, I've tried for 20 some odd years. So, um, so here's the deal. Two points. What is the curse and where's the freedom? Uh, so let's look at verses 10 through 12, right? Uh, what is the curse? Paul writes for us in, in verse 10, right? For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And then he cites Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul has this unspoken assumption at this point. Look, if you want to be a legalist and try to obey and earn God's favor and then somehow come before the throne of grace in your devotions and go, well, I, I, mean, I spent time reading the scriptures every day this week, Jesus. If you want to actually jump on that train, you can't go halvesies there. You're either all in on that train or you're not. And if that means you're, then that means you got to do it perfectly. And I know we've, as I've, we've hit a couple things over the last several weeks here. We've talked about sexual sin. We've talked about um, gossip. We've talked about anger and driving, Um, right? But I, I'll hit a couple others. It means that you and I find that if we are not. 100% perfectly content in our life circumstances right now and never struggle, not an ounce of of coveting uh, that person who's dating somebody that we wish that we were dating or or that person who has that job or vocation that I wish that I had or, or that person who, man, I wish that my kids behave like their kids. If, if at any point we feel that way, then what he's saying is then, then, then the legalist, there's two options. You do it perfectly or you die. There's no gray area. And that's what he's saying. He, he, he's saying that, that the law pronounces a curse on those who do not do everything it requires. G.K. Chesterton famously said, um, the doctrine of original sin is the only doctrine of Christianity with undeniable empirical uh, verification. So the question is then, what what is the actual curse that he's talking about? And I would say this, it's the separation that we have from God that comes when we attempt to make our own way to him. When we say, no, no, God, I got this. I can figure out how to to satisfy, uh, to to please you, to to actually uh, have this relationship work. I I got this. Now, Now, some of you are thinking, and I have no interest in being in a relationship with, with God. And I would tell you that that's, that's, that's the, the, the flip side of this same truth, right? There are two, there are two brothers in Luke 15, right? There, there is the younger brother who says, I'll do it myself, right? And he leaves. <laughs> and the older brother who says, I'll do it myself and stays. <laughs> and just remember... The older brother's the one 
who doesn't seem to ever come back. Or at least we're left wondering, is he going to come? Am I going to come? And this is what's significant. Paul is not hammering a bunch of folks uh, that are living in wild uh, um, sin and, and far from God. He is talking to those who, who actually are trying to obey. And the problem is they're trying to obey in order to have favor in the sight of God. Paul is saying this to people who are pursuing righteous living, right? Um, Their lawn is well manicured. Their their children say, yes, ma'am, and no, sir. As I like to say, their boys have short hair and their daughters have long skirts, right? These are the people, right? And Paul says, do you not understand that if those are the things that you're hanging your hope it's a curse. It is a curse that will crush you because you are running away from the very one that you say you want to serve. Paul says, this is the very curse that Christ has redeemed us from. He quotes Deuteronomy 21, 23, when he says that Christ became a curse for us. What he's trying to to connect dots for the church there in Galatia is this whole idea that in the Old Testament, when somebody was found guilty and was stoned, they would hang them as a testimony to their guilt. It was a a testimony to the curse. And he's trying to highlight the fact that that Christ hanging on the tree was a sign of him being cursed. That he was legally treated as if he were a sinner. Now, in order to make sense of this passage, I I do need to kind of... uh, say something here, because if you're in your Bible and you're looking, there's a ton of references to the Old Testament in this passage. We, we've alluded to, uh, to Deuteronomy 21, 23. We, we've already talked about Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, which he, he quotes in, in, in verse 10. Then in verse 11, he references uh, the prophet Habakkuk uh, and, and quotes Habakkuk 2, 4. But then in verse 12, he quotes Leviticus 18, 5, which seems to be a bit out of place. Because he seems to indicate that the Old Testament teaches some kind of way uh, to be made right through obedience. That is not what the Bible ever teaches. Anywhere. What Paul is doing is, is, is taking a text out of context because it seems to be a, a text that, that become, has become, as it were, the... Um, shorthand for the legalism in his day. Leviticus 18.5 has nothing to do with justification by works of the law. Paul is taking this text as a statement of this works principle. Does that make sense? And you know, like he, he's done this other places in the New Testament. He, he says things, he's like, I don't mean, come on, 
That's crazy. He says it to show the, the foolishness or the emptiness of the idea. Right? What, what he's trying to say is if you take Leviticus 18.5 legalistically, then you must, to be consistent, commit yourself to keeping every single one of God's law. And he's trying to make the point. That is the curse that Christ has come and broken us free from. Let me drill down a little bit um, more here. Let me just think about this. Think about, um, I don't know, keeping the Sabbath. Um, I've mentioned covetousness. Um, mentioned honoring your mother and father already. Right? How do you fare on these? And children, let me tell you, um, if you think it's hard to honor your mother and your father, wait till you're an adult. Because your parents have different challenges of honoring a father and mother as they age. And I, I don't say that as being awesome, but I say that to say they understand. <laughs> These are hard, and they're not on a sliding scale. Right? Let me see if I can't illustrate this, right? I mean, the question I think at this point is, how, how do you know if you're trying to be, how, how do you know if you're trying to be made right by doing the right things, or, or, um, or you're just trying to do the right things, right? Um, you know, we, we use a phrase often, um, maybe you've heard, you know, words to live by. We, we as a culture love kind of phrases that, that kind of capture a yeah, that's the way I want to be or do. And if you go to any, into any home decor store, right, they have all these little things around that, that have quotes. So you'll see quotes like this, right? A house is made of bricks and beams. A home is made of hopes and dreams. That's great words to live by. Right? Home is where our story begins. I always want to put a little asterisk on that one. I want to scribble in, in pen below that and the content of all my future counseling, right? I mean, that's kind of uh, like... Uh, or, right, bless our house as we come and go. Bless our home as the children grow. Bless our family as they gather in. Bless our home with love and friends. Right? Now, these are not bad things, right? But, but, but you know what I'm talking about. You, you know that, that, that we always hear things, oh, those are great words to live by. Oh, those, that's a great phrase, right? And, and Paul uses that same language here in our text. He says in verse 12, right, that, that they are to... Live by faith. Okay, so what does it mean to live by? What does that mean? I think he actually unpacks that for us in verse 10 when, when he makes that statement or reference earlier um, to, to rely on when he speaks of those who rely on the works of the law. To live by faith is his explanation of what it means to live by something and, um, and we see it in verse 10. To live by something is to rely on it. 
It's your principle or foundational truth that you build your life upon. It's what brings us joy, meaning, confidence, happiness, fulfillment. If you want to know what you are seeking to live by, you can ask yourself this question. What in my life that if I lost it would make me feel like I had no life left to live? Or what is it that brings you the deepest joy and meaning? Is it your kids? Is it your job? Is it your marriage? Is it your stuff? Look, here's the thing. <clears throat> um, <laughs> this is where those of us in the church begin to get short-circuited by the gospel. Because um, if, you've, if you've, I've been an ordained minister for, for 25 years, so, so, so there are lots of things that I, when I was younger that I struggled with, I don't struggle with, but that does not mean that somehow I'm out of the woods. Because now all of a sudden I find myself investing in different things and still, lo and behold, finding my righteousness and my joy and my happiness in those things. So when my kids make good decisions, I'm like, man, I've done a pretty good job. I mean, my wife mostly, but I'll take a little credit. Or when I find myself and my wife and I are in a good season, I'm thinking, most folks don't make it 30 years. I'm a pretty daggum good husband, if I do say so myself. I, mean, I, I think I folded laundry three times this week. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, I didn't cook and I didn't clean. Don't, don't get me wrong. Didn't help out in any other ways. But, uh, but I did fold. It's most of mine. <laughs> you know, I think about it, right? You know, you know this. You begin to realize, oh, oh, I'm really neat and clean, but I'm still a train wreck inside because I am trying to, to show that I have something to bring before the Father. And he goes, enough! Ed, I love you because of Jesus. Your kids could make every wrong decision. Your marriage could go 18 months. I love you because of Jesus. What Paul says here is that's what it means to live by faith. That I hide myself in the person and work of Jesus. And I stay there. And when I find myself going... My kids, they've done a pretty good job making great decisions. I go, oh, Lord, forgive me. But for the grace of God, thank you. Thank you for preserving my children as you have. And I don't take that for granted. When I come around and celebrate another year anniversary in my marriage, I go, praise be to God. This is not because I'm an awesome husband. It's because I, I believe in a faithful and steadfast, loving God. It's when I hide myself in Jesus. That's what he means when he says living by faith. It means to live out of who we are in Christ. Which is where the freedom comes from, right? Shocker. Point two, right? 
This is the freedom. We see it in verse 14. We see it in verse 14. Paul has made his case that freedom comes from living by faith in Christ, that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we've been justified before God and we're free to live by faith. You know, this justification is something that, that Rick has spoken, uh, spoke of a few, a few weeks ago, um, is the blessing of Abraham. And, and this is what Paul mentions in verse 14. And I just want to say, I'm going to have two quick a- uh, applications of this, and then we're going to wrap up. This blessing has both a personal and a communal component. What's the personal? Christ's work on our behalf is intended to give us absolute assurance of our peace with God and our inheritance as those who are sons and daughters of the King. You know, um, in Calvin's Institutes many years ago, he writes this statement. He says, our acquittal right, is in this, that the guilt which made us liable to punishment was transferred to the head of the Son of God. That's the substitute. We must specially remember this substitution in order that we may not be all our lives in fear and anxiety as if the just vengeance which the Son of God transferred to himself were still impending over us. Friends, this is designed and intended to stir in us assurance, hope, confidence. It is intended to dispel, right, the anxiety and the fear that that creeps in and thinks, I'm not good enough. Lord, I blew it. I lost my temper with my children. My wife and I had a knockdown, drag-out fight. I think we are worse than we've ever been as a couple. I can't believe this. I failed in my vocation again today. He says, those all may be true. And my child, we will work through those things. Part of those will require repentance. But that doesn't change your position before me as my child with an inheritance through my son. The personal hears this. It gives us absolute assurance of our peace with God. The third person of the Trinity dwells in you. You're united to Christ. The Spirit delights to obey. The Spirit of God that dwells in you views obedience to the law something to be desired as a response of living in communion with the Father and Son. It means that you and I are free to grow in holiness because of that identity. We don't strive to be like Jesus in our own effort, but rather we seek to manifest Christ by the Spirit that dwells in us, to display or show Christ through our lives. This this is sanctification by grace. This is freedom. Because now I come and say, no, no, Lord, stir in my heart a longing to obey. You say your Spirit dwells within me. Blow the embers that are there. They might burn bright in my heart and my life and make me new. 
Jerry Bridges, as always years ago in a book, said this. He says, our worst days aren't beyond the reach of God's grace, and our best days aren't beyond the need of God's grace. And that's what we have here. Second, that's the personal. Second is the communal. We have the privilege, you, UPC, have the privilege to manifest Christ to the world. I think this is a hard thing for us. We often think that Jesus, um, we're supposed to become little Jesuses as we grow in grace. And I actually don't believe that's what, certainly our, our confession says, I don't think that's what Paul is communicating. What he's saying is we are to manifest Christ to the world. And each of us is unique and different and have different gifts and different abilities and different uh, callings. And all of that speaks to the beauty and the complexity and the diversity of the triune God himself. And what we're called to do is take all of that and say, what does it look like for, for the Spirit of God to, to, to move through me into the world that I might manifest Christ through my unique identity as his image bearer? What does it look like for UPC? What does it look like for you in your vocation uh, to do this? What, what, it, what would it look like for this community if they saw you as a people manifesting that great glory in freedom. Andrew Field is a board member uh, for us at um, Geneva Benefits Group. He has served at Redeemer in New York City for years, planted a church in, the, in, uh, uh, in Palo Alto, and then came back to Redeemer. And uh, this past week at our board meeting, he was sharing his testimony. And, um, and he said this, he said, in college... <clears throat> I'd grown up going to church um, every, every week, uh, but it wasn't until I showed up in college and saw Christians in community and they really wanted to manifest Christ. He said, it was so attractive that I found myself in my fraternity resonating with uh, Ernest Hemingway's view of the world that was much darker and then I'd be in a Bible study in Second Timothy and think, that's what I want. But it was the community of those students that were manifesting Christ, that, that were manifesting the freedom they had from the curse and the life they lived in Christ that drew him. And God's kind providence... He used that one person's conversion <laughs> to reach folks from New York City to California. <laughs> what might it look like for us, for UPC, to live as those who are confident in their substitute and now know that the power of the curse has been broken and the freedom they have in Christ is unleashed on the world for the glory of the king and the advancement of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this passage and pray that you would take it now. Apply it to our hearts and our lives. Make us a people uh, that find our hope in the finished work of Jesus and run to you when we find ourselves wanting to put other things in that place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond in praise.